or play ball, someone could say, right? Just about. Did Gary say that over there for me there? And um, we're glad that you're here this afternoon. And um, Christians, Christians are funny people. People are all funny, or I could use other words, but I'll say funny just because. But you, I, you would be amazed having singing patriotic songs. Every time I do, I always get someone that doesn't like that with church. And I want you to understand, I am a Christian, number one. My citizenship's in heaven, and I am grateful for what the Lord's done, and I am a Christian before I'm an American. But I also am an American. I live in America today. God has blessed us and allowed us the privilege to live in this country, and we should be thankful for what the Lord has allowed in our lives and what the Lord has done. If you go back 247 years ago, and you see those names on the Declaration of Independence, I know today we don't even, some of our politicians don't even know the difference between the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence. They are different things, just in case you didn't know that. They are different. But to think that they founded a country with freedom and liberty and justice for all, that was a concept in the world that hadn't been around yet, really. And so we look at it today, and our country is a mess today. Let's just be straight up and honest. It is a mess. But what's happening in our country today, I believe when we look at all of it, I believe the answer still comes down to God's people and how they live and what they do. I don't see in the Bible where God judged a nation based on the heathen of that nation. I see he judged a nation based on the lack of his people or what his people would do. If we go back to Sodom and Gomorrah for a few minutes, remember Abraham said, Lord, if you find 50 righteous, won't you spare the city? And the Lord said, sure. It got down to 10. And if you took Lot's family itself, that probably was more than 10. And there was still not 10 righteous people. Righteousness exalts a nation Sin is a reproach to any people. And as we look at our country tonight, our, a lot of people want you not to, be, not to be patriotic at all. A lot of our sports athletes would rather you kneel when the national anthem's played and talk bad about our country, but when our country gets you out of prison in Russia, your tune changes about all of that. I've been to, I have not been overseas much. I went to Mexico last year. And there is a reason why people try to get here from there. I'll just leave it at that. We have it very good today. But I also realize, and we would be mistaken not to look today at our country and see that God's judgment is partially here and it's still coming. The book of Joel is not a book in the Bible that many people know much about. It is a small book of the Bible. It's a powerful passage of Scripture about the judgment of God. But as I, a couple years ago, we did a series where we went through the books of the Bible. We went through the books of the Bible, we went through the book of Joel, and I wrote some notes there, and I just saved them. And so this sermon's actually been in the works for about two and a half years, about that time. 
And as we look tonight and we look at our country, tonight we're going to look at Israel. Now, I want you to understand something. In no way, shape, or form am I comparing America to Israel. America is not Israel. But I also sincerely believe that as you look at how God works with a nation, I believe that God will work with people in that same way today. So as we look here tonight and we look at Joel, this was written to Israel. We understand that tonight. But as we look at Israel and what they were going through and what was taking place in their lives, we can see some things here in America today and see how we can apply these truths to our lives tonight. It's a book about judgment, the book of Joel. And you might want to start trying to find it. Some of you might take a few minutes to find the book of Joel. And if you've already got it there, great. Or if you've got an iPad or something, click right on it and get right to the verses. But Joel chapter number 2, we're going to read verse 12 through 27. And then we're going to go through our notes tonight and we'll be done. What I love about the book of Joel is God's judgment is upon the people of Israel. But in the of God's judgment, there's still hope. And may I just say, as dark as it looks in our country today, and as we see God's judgment starting to unravel before us, we're going to read in a few minutes Romans chapter number 1, God's judgment is right in line. It is coming out today. It's obvious from the Scripture. But I want you to realize tonight, there's still hope. There's still hope for God's people to get right with God. There's still time, I believe. And for Israel, in the midst of their judgment, God was letting them know there was still time. Joel 2, verse number 12. Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garment. You see, the Lord was more concerned about the inward than he was the outward. He told him to rend your heart, not your garment. A lot of people can put on a good show. God isn't concerned about a good show. He's concerned about what's on your heart. Rend, rend your heart, not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will turn and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God? Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priest and the ministers of the Lord weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith. And I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen, but I will remove far off from you the northern army and will drive him into a barren and desolate with his face towards the east sea and his hinder part towards the othermost sea and his stink shall come up, come up and his ill savor shall come up because he hath done great things. Fear not, O land, 
Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring. For the tree beareth her fruit, the fig trees and the vines do yield their fruit. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the latter rain, or the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And the floor shall be full of wheat, and the vat shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten, the cankerworm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God, that he hath dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. Father, I pray you bless the next few minutes that we have tonight. I pray that you be pleased and honored and glorified. I know this is quite a passage right here, and a lot could be said. I also know we have a bunch of kids in the room tonight, and I'm grateful to have kids in here. And I think it's a good thing for them to sing songs about our country and for them to hear about true patriotism and to learn about how we as a nation need to turn back to God. I think it's important for the next generation to hear these things. Pray that you bless the time that we have. Meet with us. We are in need of you. Help us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The children of Israel have wandered from God. In fact, the book of Joel doesn't even tell us what sin they really did. If you look at verse 13, the Bible gives some inkling here about it. In verse 13 it says, And rend your hearts and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God. I think what Israel was doing, they were not seeking God. They were living their lives, doing their thing, and they had forgotten the God of heaven. And what God did to get the attention of his people is he sent them, there were insects that came and ate up all their crops and literally left them in a bind. And as we look here tonight, and God used the trials and his judgment to try and get his people to wake up and to get their hearts for them to come back to God. And in the book of Joel, I mentioned already, it's a book of judgment, but it is also a book of hope because God's people are made to understand that even in the midst of God's judgment, there is always hope if you seek God. And God is a merciful God. He's a gracious God. And if you will seek him, he can be found even in the midst of judgment. So as we look here tonight as at a passage of Scripture written to Israel, I realize that, and I've already told you that, I want us to see some things we can learn from this tonight and apply to our lives. As we look here tonight, I'm just going to go right through. We'll get through this message by 8 o'clock, just in time for the fireworks. We'll be in great shape. Number one, we see Israel's problem. Israel's problem. What was Israel's problem? Now, don't worry. I'm not going to read the whole first chapter to you, okay? But if you look with me in verse number 4, it says, that chapter 1, verse 4, that which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten. And that which the locust hath left, hath the canker worm eaten. And that which the canker worm hath left, hath the caterpillar eaten. Literally, Israel's problem, letter A, 
is their food was ruined. God was judging his people, and the first thing that happened was one insect after another invaded and destroyed all the crops. So think about it this way. All the, there's, there's the, what does it say in verse number four? The palmer worm goes through, destroys some crops. And they're probably thinking, whew, we have some crops left. Praise the Lord. But when that worm got done, the locust came through. They probably thought, we still have some crops. It's going to be okay. But when the locust got done, the canker worm kept eating the, the crops. And when the canker worm was done, the caterpillar went through, and literally their food was ruined. There was no food left for the people. Now, we all know if you don't have food, that's a problem, right? What was it like a couple years ago when there was no toilet paper? I still don't understand that one. COVID and toilet paper disappears. I would, that would be, I don't know why everyone did toilet paper, but anyways, they did. And people were hoarding toilet paper. And we were in a mad rush. You know, I would go to Costco, to Sam's Club every few days. Is there any toilet paper? And there would be none. All those things would be empty. And I would just go back a few days later. And when I got there one day, I saw people coming out. And I'm like, yes, it's there. I go back there. It's gone. Oh, well. When you got a family, when you got eight people living in your house, you need toilet paper. But for Israel, imagine all the food being gone. Imagine going to the grocery store and, sorry, we don't have anything. You were going to go to the store and get meat for tonight, and they'd be like, um, there is no A disease went through it all. Bill Gates did something to it. I don't know. But anyways, we see the fact that their food was ruined. That was part of Israel's problem. Letter B, we see their enemies destroyed them. Verse number 5 of chapter 1 says, Awake, ye drunkards, and weep, and howl, ye drinkers of wine, because of the new wine for us cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of lions, and he hath the cheek teeth of a great lion. He hath laid my vine waste and barked my fig tree. He hath made it clean bare and cast it away. The branches thereof are made white. So Israel's problem, not only was their food ruined, but there was also enemies from without coming in and destroying them. There were nations that were invading them and coming in. They destroyed more of their food, right? Their vineyards, their orchards. Their enemies were strong, numberless. And this doesn't look very good. Not only did they have no food, and not only were their enemies destroying them, letter C, we see they faced a drought on top of that. Verse number 8 of chapter 1 and go down to verse number 9, it says, The meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests, the Lord's ministers, mourn. The field is wasted. The land mourneth, for the corn is wasted. The new wine is dried up. The oil languisheth. Be ye ashamed, O ye husbandmen. Howl, ye vine dressers, for the wheat and for the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished. The vine is dried up, and the fig trees languish of the pomegranate trees, the palm trees, the apple tree, and even all the trees of the field are withered because joy is withered away of the sons of men. And as we look, in verse 13 says, Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests, how lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of God, for the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. 
if you drive up now, when I've gone up to Sacramento and gone up to Santa Clara and gone up there a lot, when you, it's really a boring drive going up that five freeway, that five freeway. And you look at, you know, they all, there's all these signs about the dust bowl and how, how California doesn't give them the water that they need and all dried up. This is what I picture happening with the children of Israel. They had no rain. Not only, so their food was ruined. Not only was their food ruined from all those insects, but their food was ruined from other people coming in and also all their vineyards and all that. And you think about the Jews, the, the olives and all those things, that was big stuff for them. It's all ruined. They faced a drought. And then we see, letter D, that they face God's judgment. You look at verse 14 and 15 of chapter 1. Sanctify ye a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God, and cry unto the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord that hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Israel's in pretty bad shape. Their food is done. There are enemies coming in. There's drought and God's judgment is upon them. Now, looking at that, that doesn't look like you have very much to be happy about, right? You can't look and say, oh, wonderful. There's no food in the stores. There's enemies approaching in on us. There's been no rain. God's judgment is upon us. It doesn't look very good. We could look around our country. I know this last year we got some rain, and thank God for the rain. It's amazing, though, we complain when God gives us rain. We complain it's too hot. We can, we're never happy. And just be glad living in Southern California, you're not going to face negative 10 degrees wind chill. Okay? I've lived in Chicago, and I've lived in Montana. I will take the hot days here and not have to have that cold winter and the snow and push and plowing the snow. I will take that any day. But we literally don't, we complain about all of it. But you think about, there's been a lot of drought over the past several years. You look at what's gone on in our country. And I think that there's enemies within that are hurting us. And there are enemies on the outside wanting to hurt us. We literally are facing God's judgment. So, Pastor, what do you mean we're facing God's judgment? Take your Bibles. I'm going to read a passage to you from Romans chapter number 1. Romans chapter number 1. A lot of people don't like to read this passage in the Bible, but it is there for a reason. What happens to a society that rejects God and God's truth? What happens? Look down at verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. And what that says is nature even shows us the fact that there's a God. And God has put enough inside of every person that's entered this world, enough light to realize there's a God. They might not realize the true God, but they at least can realize there's a God. 
But look at the next verse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. How many people have we heard in our country and other places, well, God wouldn't do that, and God isn't like that, and God isn't that. What we have done today is we've made God into what we want him to be instead of what the book says he is. When a society does that, and when you reject God, verse number 24 says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever, amen, for this cause. So you see, what is God's judgment for this happening? Look at verse 26 there. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of error which was meat. And even as they didn't like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things that are not convenient being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murders, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventor of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, impeccable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Is that not America today? Why is America in the place America is? Because we have rejected God. Just look at our nation from where it used to be to today, just in my lifetime. I'm 38. I'm not that old. Just in 38 years, looking at where we've come as a nation. Look at where we've come in the past 10, the past 5. And it's getting worse and worse because that's God's judgment for what we do. Let's make sure, too, we look at this and we see men being with men, women being with women, and we know what God thinks of that stuff. But last night I was at the rescue mission, and as I was there towards the end of the, at the end of the message, I always give a gospel presentation and, do a and there was a guy on the front row that raised his hand that he wasn't sure. After this, he, uh, he came to me. Because I, what I do is, I'll, if, if God's speaking to your heart and you're not sure you're saved, come see me afterwards and I'll share the gospel with you. That's the way I do it. I don't just give up. It to be a little bit more than that. And so the up to me and I said, you raised your hand. He's like, yeah. He said, I've trusted Jesus, and I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I, I know I'm saved, I think. But God hates me. 
So, well, that's okay. Why does God hate you? And he started talking about his genders and who he identifies as. And he used a couple words I'd never even heard before. And he's like, God hates me. I don't believe that's true. And I think we as Christians, we do a disservice. God hates sin. So if you're a liar, he hates your lying. If you're a fornicator, he hates your fornicating. Hey, if you're an adulterer, he hates your adultery. If there's sodomy in your life, he hates that. But I told the guy, if, if you're, God loves you. And I know you'd say, well, how could any? That's not your place to figure that out. Not my place. What our world is trying to do is trying to mix everyone up on all that stuff. And they're doing a pretty good job on it. That's why if our children can get mixed up, God wants you to be who he made you to be. And he loves you. He loved the world he gave his son. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you realize that tonight? And I spent about 10 minutes with that man just to remind God loves him. And he loved him enough to send his son. And he talked about some things about his life. And he's like, I, I don't believe that this life is what God has for me, but this is where I'm at. And so he said he's made some decisions of certain things he will not do and do, and I think that was good for him. But we look at what's going on in our world today. It is a direct reflection of a society that has forgotten God. So we look at it. It is God's judgment. What God says is, you don't want me, I will get out of the way, and you can make your mess. That's where we're at today. Israel had major problems. America has major problems. And in fact, I think about what that verse tells us in, um, and not all those verses got in my notes there, but the Bible tells in Isaiah 5, verse number 20, that we're living, we're living in that generation that it calls evil good and good evil. We're seeing it before our eyes. We see God's judgment at hand, but what I want you to understand tonight is that even in the midst of it, God is still pleading, like he did in Israel's day, for his people to live and do what's right. Number one, we see Israel's problems. Number two, we see God's plea with his people. God was pleading with his people. God loved his people. And even in the midst of what was taking place and as they were experiencing the judgment of God, there was still hope because God still reached out again. Do you see that there? That's what's so awesome about our God. He still reaches out. Even after we failed him and after we've messed up and after we've gotten away from him, he still reaches out. He still begs for his people to turn to him and to make things right. He still does. There'll come a point where he stops doing it, but that's not my job to figure that out. He's gracious. He's merciful. As we look here tonight, we see God's plea. What was God's plea to Israel? Letter A, we see his plea was for repentance. His plea was for repentance. We look at verse number 12 of chapter 2 here in the book of Joel. It says, Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye. That's where the word repent, to turn from, right? 
says, Turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil, who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord. We see, first of all, a call for or a plea for repentance. Genuine repentance is what we need today in our country. The problem is we don't even know what true repentance is as believers today. This is what we do for repentance. God, I'm sorry I did that. And go right back to it. And you think I'm kidding. That's what we do. God, I'm sorry I shouldn't be doing that. And then we keep doing it. That's not how many of you have had kids or, ha- or you have kids now? How, you, they, I'm sorry I did that. And then they do the same thing a few minutes later. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. And then a few minutes later, I'm sorry. They're not sorry. I remember my mom looking at me one time being like, Brian, you said you're sorry three times today for the same thing. If you were truly sorry, you would quit doing it. True. You know why, we're not, why our land's not being healed today? Because we're not turning from our sin. Do you know that passage in, um, in 2 Chronicles 7.14, you turn from your wicked ways? That's repenting. That's literally what it means. The thing is, we'll go to God and say, I'm sorry, but I'm going to do it again. God, sorry I got drunk. And then tomorrow, go right back to the bar and get drunk again. I'm sorry I cheated on and did this. I'm sorry I lied. And we go right back to it. That's not what repentance is. Repentance is a turning from. And the Bible says here in this passage to turn with all your hearts. It's something that God wants you to do. And you see, he says he wanted them to rend their hearts and not their garments. God wanted a heart change for his people. And I know sometimes we can be in sin and we just put on a good show for everyone. God doesn't want you to put on a good show. He wants your heart to get right. You want to help your country today, Christian? Repent and turn to Christ. Repent and quit living and doing what you're doing. You would be amazed tonight what sin takes place in the people that are sitting in this room and the guy that's standing behind the pulpit in this room. We all sin. When's the last time you took an honest look at your sin and you repented before God? God looked at his people as they were in the midst of judgment and there was a plea from God. Would you just turn to me? Turn to me with all your heart. That's what we need today. The Bible talks about in Proverbs 28, 13, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our hope tonight of being saved from judgment in America and to continue to have a free land for our children to have someday is going to be God's people getting right with God and repenting for what they're doing. And the problem is we don't hear enough of this preaching in pulpits anymore. We need to hear more preaching like this. And I'm not preaching down at you today. I'm preaching at me and you, at all of us. 
Because we all need to repent and get right with God. And as long as we continue to live in rebellion against God, it's not going to get better. God pleaded with them for repentance. We see, letter B, that there was a plea for restoration. Verse number 15 there says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a psalm assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber, and let the bride go out of her closet. Let the priests and the ministers of the Lord weep between the porch and the altar, and, say, and, and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? God's calling his people from the oldest to the youngest. Do you see that there? The ones that give suck babies. That's what it's talking about right there. God's calling the oldest of Israel to the youngest in Israel. He's calling them back to him. He's calling for those that occupied areas and that were in charge of things to get back to him. He wanted his people to seek his face. He calls them to be a holy people. He calls them, he says, the word sanctify means to separate, to be holy, consecrated, dedicated. And God was calling his people back to him. We live in a generation that puts everything before God. Christians do the same. I don't understand putting sports before God. I can't hide in this pulpit like I used to hide in my old pulpit. Maybe that's why this one was made this way so I couldn't hide in it. I don't understand missing a Sunday church so your kid can play soccer. I don't understand playing softball and traveling and missing church. What that says is that your sports is more important than your God. So, oh, pastor, you're just so old school on that. It might do people good to get back to being old school and get back to going to church. Well, thing, nowadays you go to church once a month and you're a great Christian because you went to church once a month. I don't know about you, but the Bible, this is what I was talking to someone the other day. I was on vacation. I was talking to someone about this stuff. I can't get away from it. It's just always there. The Bible says not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Now, that's the thing. If your church you go to gathers one time a week, then you should be at the church that one time a week. If your church has two services a week, you should be at that church twice a week. That not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Yeah, you might go on vacation, and you should go on vacation. I'm not telling you not to go on vacation. That's okay. I wasn't here Wednesday night. Johnny did an okay job. I had to come back, though, because I had people saying, man, he did better than you, and I had to come back. I'm like, no, that might be the last time you ever preach. Because people start telling me you do, I only bring in people that are below, out. no, I'm just kidding. But he did a great job on Wednesday night, and I appreciate the message that he gave and the time. The thing is, till you pastor and you preach the message, you have no idea how much time went into that message. And you know, he told me the other day, I had to prepare three messages. That was a lot of work. That's every week. Every week. Even on vacation, I was up late several nights preparing this message and my other message for this morning. Whatever your church does, you should be there. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. What's more important, your time with God or your time in front of the television? I'm not telling you to be the person that never watches television. It's okay. And I know, like, our young people in the room, 
I know a lot of you don't watch television. You spend your time on YouTube. Yeah, right? I was, I was hearing Johnny's thing today about some YouTube video he's watching about some how to do a puzzle. And I'm like, oh, man, that's hurting my head, even listening to that right there. And he's like, it's soothing. I'm like, there's nothing soothing about hearing someone talk to me on YouTube. And it's, anyways, there's nothing wrong with viewing good things. There is a lot wrong with viewing bad things, and that's a whole different message. But I'm not asking you to spend every minute of your day in the Bible, although we would do so much better in life if we would. It would really help us. I'm just asking you to put God first. Do you put him first? Is God first in your finances? Is God first in your family? Is God first in your marriage? Is God first in your child rearing? Is God first? God was begging his people and pleading with them to repent and he was pleading for restoration. Put me back where I belong in your life. We see Israel's problems. We see God's plea. And number three and lastly, we see his promise to his people. As we look at these promises, we'll run through these quickly. We're just about done. And you're doing an excellent job. And this message was supposed to already be just about done. But I basically am giving you the whole book of Joel in one message. You've got to think about that there. So you're getting, you're, getting quite a bit of, you're getting quite a bit here for not much time. So just think about it that way. You're getting good bang for your buck here tonight. We look, and we look at verse number 18. It says, of chapter 2, it says, Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people, Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto you, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more make you reproach among the heathen, but I will remove far off I will but I will remove far off from you the northern army, and will drive him into a barren death and desolate, with his face towards the east sea, and his hinder part towards the uttermost sea, and his stink shall come up, and his ill savor shall come up, because he hath done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. And verse 22 says, Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring, for the tree bearing her fruit, and the fig tree and the vine do yield her strength. We see, first of all, there's a promise to restore. God says, you come, you turn to me, you put me back in my proper place, and I will drive that army out. I will make them go a different way. They won't affect you anymore. They'll leave you alone. I'll, that food you're missing, I'll give you the food back. Hey, repent. Come back to me. Turn back to me. Put your priorities straight. And we see the Lord tells them here that he would deliver them from their enemies and feed them. There was a promise to restore. I don't think there's a Christian that doesn't want the blessing of God on their life. I would think we would all want the blessing of God on our life. How many of you want the blessing of God on your life? We all do. We all do. And if you didn't raise your hand, you're like, no, let God give that blessing to someone else. I don't want God's blessing. That's such a good Christian attitude for you to have. But that's, we all want God's blessing. We do. And God tells Israel here, I will restore you. There's a promise to restore. But not only a promise to restore, letter B, there's a promise of revival. 
If you notice, it says there in verse 23, 24, and 25, it talks about, for I'll give you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. And so when you see those things, God promised to send them the former rain and the latter rains. For Israel, the way it worked, the former rains fell in October and November. They help replenish the soil and, um, in preparation for the next planting season. And so, but their normal rain time would be from December till about February. California is not much different. We look at our main rain season would be December through February. So as we look at this passage and we think about this, the former rains would be an October, November rain. The latter rains would be a March and April rain. And what this says here in this passage is, God says, I will give you in the first month all the rain I would give you at the, those first two months and the last two months. I will bless you, and I will bring back to life all that is dead. That's what God's telling them here. And you see, Israel had a lot of problems, and God reached out, and God pled with them and said, hey, if you repent and you turn to me, and if you seek me, and if you put me in my proper place, and if restore me where I belong in your lives, I'll bless you and bring your fruit back, and I'll turn the enemy the other way, and I'll bring the things that have died in your life, I will bring them back to life, and I'll bring some revival in, and those former and latter rains, you'll get those rains. Let her see. Almost done. There's a promise, a blessing. Look at verse 26. And ye shall eat in plenty. Man, imagine going into the grocery store and having no food, to where it says here, you'll eat in plenty. And praise the name of the Lord with you. Or look at back at the beginning there. It says, He shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. If you have no food and you break up no food for a family of eight, you're not going to be satisfied, right? Because there's nothing to eat. And your tummy's still going to growl like it is right now that's almost 7 o'clock and some of you haven't eaten dinner yet. And pastor, I normally eat dinner at 5 o'clock, and you made me wait till 7 o'clock tonight. We will all be fine. I've seen everyone's waistline in this room, and you will be fine for a few more minutes tonight. And we'd probably do well just to have a fast tonight and not even eat tonight. But I'm just, whoa, that's meddling. No, okay, I'll back off there. But when we look at this, we see that God's people, he promised you turn to me. You restore, you restore me where I belong in your life. I will bring the food back. I'll drive the enemy out. I'll give you the rain, and the drought will stop. I'll bring things back to life, and I will bless you with plenty. And when you are done, you will be satisfied. Because do you realize the sin, the lives that we live in sin and things that go on, there's that false sense of satisfaction. You never are satisfied. You never have enough. In this world, you will never reach the pinnacle of having enough. In Jesus Christ, you can be satisfied. And we see there's a promise, a blessing. And lastly, I love this. They will know who God really is. Look at verse 27. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. 
I love, he called, I am. Don't you love seeing that right there? I love seeing that. Every time in scripture I see it, I love seeing that. But do you see what God says here? When their restoration comes, they'll know that God is with them and that he is the source of their strength, their power and their blessing. They'll set their hearts to follow him and they'll know that God is working in their midst. Is God there the whole time? Yes. But do we always realize that God's working in our lives? No, and sometimes the judgment that comes is him working in our lives, if you think about it. We look at this passage of Scripture, and we broke down the book of Joel pretty good right there for a little bit tonight. Israel was a mess, and Israel had major problems, and God pleaded with them to repent, store God where he belonged in their society. And God says, you do that, I'll give you food. I'll give you rain. I'll bless you. And you'll know that I'm working in your midst. God's judgment was on Israel at this time. But there was still time. There was still hope. You know what my hope for our country tonight is? It's not found in Sacramento. It's not found in Washington, D.C., my hope is still in this book. And my hope is that God's people would get back to this book and repent, repent, and restore God to his rightful place in their lives. And I believe we could still see the blessing of God today. I don't believe God judges a nation based on the heathen. He judges a nation based on his people. And I don't know if you realize that if you're a child of God tonight, you're his. You belong to him tonight. Now is the time. I think Paul penned these words greatly for us. Now I want to read these last couple of verses. We'll have a word of prayer and be done. Paul said this in Romans 13, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in envy, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Now's the time. Say, I'll, I'll repent later. That's not what God wants you to do. I know a lot of Christians that are very fed up with what's going on in our country. And I see that they'll go protest and be a part of protests and do all that sort of thing. And yet in the midst of it, they are fornicating, getting drunk, doing all these things that are just as bad as what they're standing up against. If you want to do your country a favor and you love the country you live in and you love the God of heaven, get right with him. Turn from your sin to him. As a believer, quit doing it. Quit being the kid that says, Daddy, Mommy, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Stop it. If you're truly sorry, 
stop doing it. Put God back where he belongs in your life. Quit letting everything else come first before God. God should have priority number one. Let me also give you one last little thought. In your home, men, in your home, God should be number one. Your wife, number two. Your children, number three. And your job, number four. Or somewhere down that line. Don't lose your family over your job. Don't lose your kids over your job. Don't lose your wife over your job. Don't lose your wife because you put your children before your wife. Put the proper order in place in your home. Prioritize things. God won, spouse two, children third, job down there. And if you want to put something before your job, that's fine, but I would put your job fourth or in there. A lot of people are ruining their homes today because they want to make a few extra bucks. And you lose your family. A few extra bucks, nothing. If you just decide was, that was extra tonight. Let's turn to God. God told Israel, I still am there. I still love you. You need to get right with me. You need to put me in my proper place. And I'll remove those enemies. I'll bring the rain. I'll bring, th- I'll bring a revival. I'll bless you. And I'll bless you where you'll be satisfied. And in the midst of it all, that I'm the one doing this, and you'll know what I'm doing. I believe that's still real today. In the midst of God's judgment today, I still believe there's hope. I still believe there's time because God just wants his people to get right. Father,